1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Holly. And Holly was married to a very deceptive narcissist who, when desperate enough, would have been capable of anything. It's a story of divorce, co-parenting, and finding yourself again in the aftermath of long-term abuse. Before we get to our episode with Holly, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show, and also to tell you that we are excited that we are now offering... High Conflict Parenting Courses that can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we have partnered with an online parenting company and many of the courses we are offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you have listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court. And he's now helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com courses and help support our show and help yourself at the same time. Now, if you are looking to be part of our show... Please go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com and fill out the guest form and we will go from there. But the quickest way to be part of the show is to also go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com and to read a letter to your narcissist and be part of our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode. We have a voicemail recorder on our website, so go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. It's on the right side of the page. It's always floating around and it's hard to miss. There's a button that says Send Voicemail press it and away you'll go. We are accumulating these letters for a volume three of our letters to my narcissist episodes, so send those in. If you want me or my old pal Melissa to read your letter instead, just send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com. And we have a few things before we get started. We also have a new podcast called Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, and it is now available for your listening pleasure. Our first seven episodes have been released. Our last episode was with Tally Kadosh, and we discussed shoplifting and narcissistic abuse. It was a great episode, and we have fantastic feedback on that one so far. So if you want to support this podcast, one of the many ways is to hire a therapist or a coach from our directory, like Tally Kadosh at abusetherapy.org. So if you are looking for a therapist or a coach, please do go to abusetherapy.org. And if we don't have someone in your area and you're looking for someone who is area specific, please let us know and we will help find someone for you using abusetherapy.org also helps support our show. We have so many things that are helping support our show these days. Another one is our Patreon. Yes, we started a Patreon. If you want to hear episodes that never made it to air or follow-up episodes with former guests and much more, join our Patreon. We'll be releasing new content on there every week. So to help support the show once again, become a patron of our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Narcissist And we have more things going on. We started a YouTube channel, everyone. Yes. And we started making fun, pop culture, narcissist-based videos. The last one was on top five narcissist types of the coronavirus pandemic. And we'll be leaving a link to that in our description. And now I have probably gone on too long with all of this stuff. It is now time for me to get out of my own way and your way. Here is my conversation with Holly. Hello, everyone. Thank you for showing up today this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse. With me, I have Holly. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you for being here with us today. And I'm just going to get out of my way and your way and give you the floor.
0: All right. Well, thank you again for the chance to to tell my story. Um I am uh, uh the only child of uh two parents who probably got married too young <laughs> and I end up ended up being a child of divorce um very sensitive kid um very introspective and um and I think uh that's sort of where I come from as a as a person um I, as we talked about before, I probably dealt with PTSD for uh, a while and not really knowing what it was. But the background here is that um, with the man I married, this was somebody that was essentially my first real boyfriend. Um, I was a late bloomer, so I was like 25 years old before I moved in with this guy. And I thought I was smart. <laughs> I thought I knew what I was doing, I was taking my time, I was not going to make the mistakes of my parents um i felt that i understood myself um and i remember in the beginning of this relationship um he uh, the man who is my now ex husband as of september um did a, an amazing um you know love bomb on me uh he was absolutely going to fix everything in my life even though i really didn't want him to and I would sometimes ask him, you know, slow down. I really, you know, this is my life, right? Um, but he made a, a ton of promises, um, one of which was having children and having a family. And that, I think, really hooked me because then I thought, wow, he's saying he wants to do that. And he seems really in, in on it mean he's really excited about it. Surely that means <laughs> this is meant to be. <laughs> um and you know from from there on, uh, he he was able to to keep this act going uh, and helped me think that he was the most wonderful man on earth, uh, the most intelligent, uh, the most even keel, the most everything I, I mean I really put him on a pedestal. And uh, I'd say within about I don't know six months to a year. Um, I started noticing that he was a bit more flat in affect. You know, he was a little bit bland. He didn't seem to respond uh, very much when I would be upset or worried by something or if I wanted to talk to him about something that bothered me. Um, over time, my being an open book, um, sharing with him all my worries, fears, excitements, dreams, uh, ambitions, you know, embarrassing moments. I mean, I was a t- complete open book. And over the years, uh, he basically went from, you know, being you know, mildly, you know, uh, entertained to uh, to just uh, totally ignoring me, you know, not even looking at me when I would talk, uh, not answering questions. We would have these conversations that were totally one sided because I would I would say something and wait for him to have something to say and nothing would happen. And, you know, in normal conversation, you think that means keep talking. (laughs) Well, that's not what it meant. It meant he is not there. He's not listening. And I think over time um, that really took a toll on me. Um, And I uh, so. So, yeah, fast forward um, until the point where I am. Regularly crying, uh, saying, "I, you know, I, I just feel so lonely in this, you know, in this relationship. I, I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand why you won't talk to me. You know, are you depressed? Like, is there something bothering you? Do you want us to change our our life, move somewhere else, do a different job? What is it?" And always uh you know I kind of got this uh the brush off like I was an idiot, and I was incompetent, which you know these are themes that uh that got bigger and bigger themes in our marriage um, that I was when he would call me lazy, I was self absorbed he'd make these motions uh with his finger going around the circumference of his head while he's saying choo-choo meaning i am you know i think the world revolves around me um just lots of insulting stuff i was incompetent i was weak i was overly sensitive i mean you know i i came to sort of believe these things um so it, it came to a point where I, I was so very, very lonely and and didn't understand why I couldn't reach him. You know, a few years, uh, even before we got married, I, I had noticed this pattern and I said, you know, maybe we should just take a break. And he would say, oh, my God, that's awful. What are you thinking? You are you know, that's crazy talk. Um, so I always assumed that meant, oh, yeah, keep going. You know, this is he's just uh, having a hard, hard time expressing his emotions or whatever. So
1: so you were always making excuses for uh, the behavior and is that one of the reasons maybe was he, was the, I still the idea that's in front of you or maybe the dangling carrot of having a family and uh, creating Mm. this life that you believed uh, at the beginning of the relationship?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very much so. And I think the way I've described it before is that I very consciously every day of this marriage um, consciously sort of asked myself, is what's happening right now so bad that I can't do it anymore? Or would it make sense for me to even you know, take some kind of drastic measure and propose that you know, we, I want to stop? You know, is it that bad? And and what's the trade-off? And always it came down to my family, and the second thing was was my love and belief in who he was. I believed that he was virtuous, competent, uh, uh, sensitive somewhere in there, um, and that he loved me, that he liked me, <laughs> um, and that he was a deep, soulful human being um, who uh, is trying very, very hard and uh, uh, could not even imagine not having his family and that we were the number one thing. So all that stuff is what I believed, and uh, and I've, I think I filled in the gaps where I would see things that, that weren't right. And, of course, as the years went by, there were some pretty – Bad things like I was pregnant with our our second child, and he was going on a business trip, and I went to get him his shaving kit to go pack for his trip, and I'm zipping the thing up, and I see there's condoms in there. Well, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I don't need condoms, you know. And I ask him, "What's what's that?" Oh, that's just left over from I don't know when. Like you no, know, it feels awful, but you have to ask yourself right then. Okay. Is this the moment when I say, look, this is, this is not right, um, standing there pregnant, right? Um, at some point, I think in 2014 or 15, I made an expre- Excel spreadsheet uh, for me to dump in the, the, these columns all the things that were bothering me about this man and this marriage. And I literally title it, What is Bothering Me? And it is, I'm looking at it now, it is 41 rows long. And each cell has a thing he did and continues to do. You know, things like, uh, I bring you flowers to your office. You haven't brought me flowers in like 10 years. You know, I ask you to tell me I'm beautiful and uh and you don't answer. Um, I tell you I'm lonely. You won't say anything. I ask you for couples counseling. You say absolutely not that it's voodoo. Um, you know, you won't celebrate my birthday, our anniversary. Um, uh, I, um, I'm looking at so I ask you at some point, how can I help you feel closer to me? Because he seems so distant. And he literally told me, he said well, I know that you don't want to hear this, but I can't feel close to you when the house is such a cluster F fill in the blank. Um, big things like that. Um, humiliating me and the children, uh, in front of other people humility, humiliating my teenage daughter in front of the family with sexual innuendo. Um, uh, doing the same thing to our teenage son when he had a girlfriend. Um, He uh, regularly would tell the story at dinner parties we would have that uh, he told his class that he was teaching, he was teaching a class in cognition and memory, and he wanted to make an example of a type of memory memory that human beings have. And he he bragged that he set it up so that uh, a resident, uh, sorry, a, a graduate student would burst into the class while it was in session. You know, all these undergraduate students sitting there, about 60 of them, have her burst in there and accuse him saying, you're never going to leave your wife. I effing hate you. And then run back out. So... You know, here here is a man who is perfectly fine. I'm standing right there, telling people, uh, you know, that uh, essentially he's like fooling around. So, um,
1: so when you got together with him and all that, all this stuff is going on, okay. I had, I guess one question for me is what is your belief about what love is
0: at that point or now,
1: <laughs> back then,
0: back then, um, I think for me, uh, I think the love that I felt for him, I assumed he had for me. So I think part of it was this projection. Love to me was, you know, this person that I loved. (laughs) But um, I think at the time, I thought love was putting up with me. Um, I thought it was, um, you know, continuing to... uh, You know, show up for meals and go to a movie with the kids and and interact at some level. Um, I thought love was uh, if things got really, really, really bad for me and I was really, really, really upset that at some point he would show up and and hug me and say it's going to be okay. But, of course, over the years, I got less and less and less of that and a lot more of you know, silence. So, yeah, what was love? Um, I I think I had a a pretty bad role model in my father, who was very, very distant as I grew up. And um, I don't know, maybe I thought I, I did think a lot about the, the unit, the, the couple as a unit, and that they are more than the the sum of their parts you know that it's not just one person it's two people forming this this uh this entity that that has you know it it has a a journey a future you know to follow, and that making plans for going on trips or making plans for renovating the house with some kind of expression of we belong together kind of thing and uh, you know, at at the end of the day I, I started realizing that's just not hard. <laughs> that's that's not exactly bending over backward for your the love of your life. Um so my perspective is actually uh that uh the narcissistic person um and this guy I think with um all the what turns out to be criminal behavior um over the years and a lot of other things i didn't know were going on of course cheating on me for 20 years married online dating um he probably has another kid um i mean this this guy turns out to be a complete um opposite of anything i thought he was so i'm going to say it's 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 actually he took a a a, a much more um Insightful, emotionally intelligent person, and uh, tricked her. Essentially, I think. Really, I remember in the beginning, I was very reticent. It took me four months to, to, to at to, at the end of the date let him kiss me. I just would really was wanting to go slowly. <laughs>
1: So he so, so he so he really played up everything that oh, yeah. you wanted and knew exactly what it would take to get you. Yeah. And then <laughs> it just disappeared and then he really and then he created um thoughts in your head that you started to believe about yourself.
0: Oh yep. well, he's he's incredibly incredibly covert about it. So Um, and I think one of the things uh, to my disadvantage is I think uh, I believed in order to be in a loving relationship, I need to be completely honest. And so all of my thoughts and feelings and fears and dreams, you know, I would share that stuff thinking that um, this would help him understand me and we would be closer, but that's not what he did with that. What he did with that is figured out where all my um, all my issues, um, you know, being very sensitive to criticism. Um, you know, my my mother had after my father left, she'd t- attempted suicide. My parents got a divorce because my father uh, messed around, um, and, and all these things he 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 basically ended up doing to me. And I think it's because he knew that these were the things that truly um would undermine me um so he 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 put the the uh, proverbial uh pan of water on the stove to boil um and put put the frog me in the cold water and turned the heat on low and slowly you know the the frog doesn't realize it's getting hot in there and by the time the frog figures that figures it out like i figured it out um things were pretty painful <laughs> Um, and I, my goose is cooked as it were. So I really think, uh, it was a masterful snow job. Um, and, uh, and masterfully knowing me and knowing what, what to do to, um.
1: You gave him a blueprint and then yeah. he took that blueprint and yeah. he did
0: his worst. He did his worst. And the thing is, I think he does it to everybody. Um, so, uh. Yeah, so the criminal behavior, too. He defrauded the federal government. And there were just, there's an entire life that he lived that I did not know he had. You know, this is a guy that probably had so much extramarital sex. Um, so, you know, this is a man I was faithful to for 25 years. Um, but he was the exact opposite and could explain anything. Um, and I think my my... We all, my children, and I both felt like, if we didn't go along with whatever he had to say, he would criticize and insult us, and we would feel we would feel like we were the idiots, and so we might as well, you know, pull ourselves together, uh, to so that doesn't happen. So he can be incredibly, um, he he can be incredibly malevolent, mean, insulting, and cruel. Um, so uh so I mean I think part of the story I really wanted to tell here is actually how I got out. Okay. Um and and uh I don't know if I when I wrote this down and thought about it I realized that there are a few several parts to it. Um and part 1 is me waking up slowly realizing what kind of situation I was in, what kind of marriage I was in and part 2 was a couple of turning points for me where when i just uh, something clicked for me and then part 3 was i realized i needed i needed to get a plan i needed to get him out of the house and i needed to to start getting my resources together to get a divorce and then telling him to get out uh and then um leaving because he wouldn't leave and protecting myself and building my future so these are all parts of this Uh, the odyssey over the last four years um, for me so um, so I've described a little bit about the waking up point um, making a list of the things that were hurting me and looking at it on paper and saying oh my god (laughs) that's pretty bad (laughs) Um, I started getting horrible panic attacks somewhere in the middle of this so I took myself to the therapist and the psychiatrist and I said if the if if all I'm able to do is to fix myself so I can fix the marriage, then that's good enough. But of course, um, going to don't, going to therapy really opened my eyes. Um, I worked really hard on the marriage. All those things that people tell you to do to keep your marriage alive, like make date nights happen and and plan parties and do things to to do things together. But um, and the more I did. Uh, the turning point for me was that the the more I did, the healthier I got, um, the fewer panic attacks I had. He got worse. He got more distant and critical and insulting, not just me, but started really laying into the kids, calling us names, all, all the things I talked about. Um, uh, um, yeah, sexually things got a lot worse and a lot more. Um, uh, I would say abusive, um, and. Uh, the day that he, um, I think one of the, the big turning points was that he told me that he'd gotten caught at work forging a document. Uh, and, uh, I, I was very frightened by that and, uh, listened to him and then, uh, thought about it later. And started worrying that, oh, he may be feeling as frightened as I am about this. He may be feeling guilt-ridden and ashamed or wondering whether I would stand by him. So with that thought in my head, I pulled myself together, went to his office to tell him, I'm going to stand by you. I don't like this, but you know we're going to weather this together. And I, at some point I started to cry to, to say that I loved him, and he laughed at me and asked, how would I feel about moving to Singapore or Brazil? So to me, that said, right there, that was a turning point. It was like, wait a minute. <laughs> He's laughing at me while I'm laying myself out and saying, I am willing, you know, to go through this absolute hell because you, decide, you decided to do something essentially criminal. Um, so, so I started getting my resources together. I knew at the very least I need to get a lawyer because I don't know where this is going <laughs> So I did. I had consultations with several lawyers. I did what they tell, you know, uh, women uh, who are looking to possibly get a divorce, what you should do. I followed the steps. I did my research. (laughs) I started going through all the bills and the paperwork in the house for receipts. And instead of receipts, I found this porno folder of all those other women and their genitalia and cards that they gave them and underwear and just all this stuff i also found that he doubled the life insurance on me to a hundred thousand dollars not him just me so then it's starting to get a little creepy Uh, yeah now here's the thing when i tell people even just that part most people don't even believe me they look at me like this is not this is a little too outrageous right Um, Furthermore, uh, everybody looks at him that we know, that that looks at him, people that I know, and they think from his outside that he looks like such an affable, normal, uh, sensitive human being. But all of my experience now uh, is telling me it it is a masterful uh, uh, mask. It is – he is – he is willing to hurt people. He's okay with it. And he's good at it. And he's good at getting away with things. He's a, he's even said that before, you know, whatever I can get away with, um, you know, somebody else is fished in. He would say when he would do something that someone didn't know that he had done, he would say, ah, fished in. Um, so
1: it sounds I, like I mean, you were going to be going to Singapore, but you wouldn't have
0: been coming back. That, yeah, exactly. Well, the, here's the really scary part, is that when I found the paper um, where he had uh, doubled the life insurance on me, this was right before we were going on a trip to France. So here I was going to be out of the country with this man, uh, nobody else that I know around me, essentially alone. Uh, I I have thought a few times in the past that that may have been the moment when he was going to see that I have an accident. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Uh, He's also done a lot of things since I left the house. Like he sends threatening mail, uh, you know, anonymous mail. Um, He goes, he gets, he gets into my apartment with the, uh, by, by following the kids into my apartment. Um, So he's a little, He's a little crazy, <laughs> but I, I want to tell the story of, 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 of getting out of this because um, people have to understand that uh, this kind of person will not uh, cooperate with you. They're going to be as hard-ass and as smart and as, uh, as cool as they possibly can, whatever it takes to get you where they want you and get what they want out of you. So here we are. Uh, I found all this out, all this pornographic and, you know, he's been having a, 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 an affair with a woman that he, that he met 20 years ago. OK, he probably has a kid because I can't even explain. But anyway, so I know all this. I when he gets home from his business trip, I said, you and me got to go to the park because we need to have a talk. I sat down there and on the park bench next to him and I said, I understand that you are probably in love with somebody else. That's fine. But I have a right to a life and someone who actually loves me. And I have a right to get the kids uh, a father figure who will not torture them the way you do. So I'm going to give you three hours. You give me three hours. Um, and you get, uh, you get your stuff. I'm going to take the kids on uh, a little field trip. You get your stuff, you get out of the house, uh, and I'll be back at, you know, 4 o'clock.
1: How old are the kids uh, at this time?
0: So Oliver was, um, I think, 11, mm-hmm. and that he's my youngest. So the next one up is 14, and the next one up is 18, 19. Okay. So I, I tell him to leave, and he looks at me and says— I'm not going anywhere. You owe me a conversation, right? And I said, no, I don't owe you anything. And I got up to leave, and he gets up and tries to grab me and keep me from leaving. That scares the hell out of me. I'm crying. I'm trying to get away from him. He's chasing me through the park at this point. Other people around us, you know, joggers and whatnot, are kind of looking at us like, what the heck's wrong with you? Finally, he takes off, goes back to the house. When I get to the house, he's going around the house with a big uh, contractor's bag, going through filing cabinets upstairs and the cedar closet where we store stuff. uh, He pulled out five contractor's bags worth of stuff. I didn't even look. I was in such a, you know, fog, totally uh, sidelined that he would – dare to say he's not going anywhere and suddenly trying to figure out well, what am i going to do he's six feet tall how do i get him out of this house right so the punch line is i had to leave and if you can imagine being the one the 90 percent parent who's built this home for her children brought her children to this house when they were born uh Did all their doctor's appointments, play dates, birthdays, all the ER trips, uh, all the the school trips, all the, uh, you know, anything having to do with child care, top to toe. I did it. And now suddenly I have to figure out how to get out of there. Um, So I, I pulled a couple of friends together. I got myself a truck. Um, he was on a business trip and I told the kids that I've got an apartment for them. I mean, this couldn't be more painful. This was excruciating and it was excruciating for them. It was horrendous. Um, But I knew uh, there's no way I can stand, I can be in that house him knowing what he knows about me, me knowing what he's capable of physically and what kind of retaliation I would probably get. So I moved out, got a big enough place for me and the kids, hoping that they would come with me. They didn't want to. And I, I, I kind of understand it now. But um, at this point, I had to start facing the fact that he may actually be a violent person. And I didn't know that either. Uh, once I moved out, he started uh, threatening suicide. Um, I got advice from women's crisis centers, uh, you know, that I need to protect myself because statistically this is the most dangerous time in a woman's life um, when she's leaving uh, a partner. Um, at the time, what I did not know, because he did not bother to elaborate on the criminal charges he was uh, facing, uh, the U.S. government was – was. Um, uh, Leveraging a hundred and thirty two thousand dollar federal fine for his crimes. so knocking me off at that point <laughs> uh, and collecting the insurance would have been a really great idea for him. you know that hundred thousand would have uh, gone real far to him paying off this darn fine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was a three quarter time. Uh, employee at the time, I was the 90% parent, I volunteered, took care of the kids, and I brought in money with my job. So now, I needed to get myself full-time work, and right away, <laughs> I needed to get insurance, I needed to get benefits, uh, and I had to go on this campaign of every day adding a new new job to my life, which is finding a job, interviewing anywhere I possibly could and finding anyone who thought they knew of work. I had to relearn how to rebuild my finances. Uh, I hadn't done my own talk taxes in years. I had to plan for my future. Um, and, and what I want to say is that I did it. <laughs> it worked. I actually, it took me three years. Um, but, but I made it out of there. And I think this is such an important thing for uh, other people to know is that if you just keep showing up one foot in front of the other, you know, you, you are going to collapse in a bundle of tears and emotion, uh, many, many times. But if you can just get up the next morning and take another step, you, you can get out, um, So uh, another thing I've learned um, in this process is the value of the gray rock strategy, which is um, not replying to any communication from him that's not absolutely essential. So um, because he will find any way he can to engage me to, to try to to say something that will make me feel scared or worried about him or worried about the kids or, um, uh, anything to get me into conversation to get me to see him once again, as this, you know, virtuous, uh, uh, the smarter than me, uh, kind of person to get, to get me to be his, uh, another flying monkey, essentially another another person who acts like he's uh, you know cat's pajamas. Um, so, you know, getting to the end of the story where I am now, I've uh, I got my divorce in September. Uh, he he pushed me every which way. He has ignored every court order he doesn't pay anything you know uh he does exactly what he wants he tried to bully me into signing a second mortgage so he could pay his federal fine but what he did was said i just need you to close out this line of credit so that i can get my own loan and it will be no uh no risk to you at all and uh well it turns out he was trying to get me to sign a second mortgage (laughs) Um, but the, the lies and the pushing and the bullying, they just don't stop. So you have to gray rock somebody like this, or they, they really will get you to do stupid things um, for love and for concern, for empathy, you know, having empathy for another person. Um, I, I can now see I can now see him not as the person that I loved. I can now um, when I when I think of or have an image of him in my head, it used to be I would feel such empathy and love and care and worry about him, um, that everything about him and his image in my mind seemed uh, wonderful. But now I feel when I see that person in my mind, it's like the The drapes were drawn and I'm looking straight into the face of a person who's okay with hurting me, hurting the kids, okay with, uh, frauding the federal government, putting us, uh, potentially into, uh, you know, uh, bankruptcy, um, having to leave our home and, and our lifestyle and, and, uh, go to a different neighborhood and different schools, uh, you know it's just um it's been quite a, a a journey um but i think um you know a a great deal of who i was was actually pretty healthy when i met him um and i i wanted to to tell this story because i don't think it's that i had some namby-pamby idea of you know, my role in the world. Um I I was not actually all that interested in marriage. I was interested in kids and family, but I didn't have um I didn't I didn't have carry this uh this baggage around until a few years after being in a relationship with him because I think uh he's simply wired in a way that He's entitled to anything and everything, and uh, what you want is completely uh, irrelevant to him. If it happens to jive with something he wants to, yay, you know. But for the most part, he does exactly what he wants to all the time, smiles and makes it smell good to other people.
1: So, so, sorry to interrupt, your relationship now with your children in the aftermath of this— From my understanding, uh, based on your email, that they – there's parental alienation that has gone on, and and they are on his side, and they don't believe anything that uh, happened to you. Even though that they were there and that they were treated poorly, they uh, side with your dad, and they think that you are the crazy one. So how – are you dealing with that and uh, I assume that you're working with your therapist or, or someone yes. else on yes. the emotions of that and uh, I guess putting your best foot forward and I assume trying to prove everything that is being said about you wrong?
0: Yeah. So I'm really glad you asked this question because and, – and when we talked earlier and you said, wow, you, you sound a lot better – you know, there there have been a number of turning points even in the last, you know, three or four months that have helped me see that, you know, um, that the alienation that I feel is not necessarily um, uh, coming from my kids. Um, and that, in fact, especially since I have teenagers and I have two sons two teenage sons and um, can you an older... explain
1: can you explain that that it's not coming from your kids?
0: yeah um, so you know what I what I what I feel like and have felt like and what I was saying in that email is that um, you know there's this long list of things that my ex-husband has done to my kids and they know it um, and I've been sort of the opposite um, and I thought to myself, you know, why, why are they staying over there? Like, why, why aren't they coming to stay with me? Why do they seem to not care when I, when I say, you know, that thing he told you, that's not true. Um, It it turns out in, in talking with my therapist that um, they are still in the dynamic, uh, the fear cycle, the need for his attention that I was in. And the value of what I've done is I've shown them that one day when they're ready, they can save their own life and get out of that cycle. They are, they need him so desperately to say a kind word to them. And he holds it out like a carrot, like, like holding uh you know, a dog treat uh, in your hand way above the dog. This is, And they're still jumping and they still need that. And uh, so I I figured this out from talking to my therapist. But the second thing is I'm starting to hear more and more from them over time, how very opposite they feel to what I thought they felt. Um, uh, They are very angry (laughs) at what he's done to them and what he's done to me, they are very grossed out by the the girlfriend he's brought in to live in the house with them. He they are um, they are absolutely disgusted by the things that uh, he has said about me to them. Uh, they trust virtually nothing that he says. They're simply there's this shell of a dad for them in their minds and they are not old enough. It hasn't been enough years. Their brains aren't formed yet for them to be able to let that go yet. And that is their journey and it's not mine and it's not my business to mess with it. But, you know, when I have, um, I've, uh, what I've learned is the way to handle, especially a teenager, is that you let them come to you? You you say, hey, let's go out to lunch. I'll take you out to lunch, and you have a nice time. And and don't ask them a bunch of you know difficult questions. And just enjoy their presence because when you let them do that, um, you find the 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 love and the uh, affection comes comes back to you. And and what I've discovered is that um, I get so many more hugs and so many much more um, affection and attention from them. And they do want to be with me and it's increased over time. And I think, again, it's because they're little by little starting to be able to, uh, I guess, conceptualize and, and, and look at the things that have been happening and, and get angry. Um, but that takes time. Um and as far, that?
1: as far as your behavior goes, were you uh, saying negative things a while ago about him or uh, complaining and that's what they saw? And were you reacting to things and now you uh, around them don't do any of that and you just stay positive?
0: So it's a little bit of both. So for in the, in the very beginning, I uh, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't want to tell them bad things um and so when when something good that he would do for them i'd say that's great i'm so glad you know see it's gonna be okay you know um but then when uh they would say something that he had said to them about me that was peyton lie it was apparent it was beyond me to keep my mouth shut to say, Oh my God, but he, he's been having an affair for 20 years. How could, you know, you know, like your mother was having an affair. Well, no. <laughs> so uh, it was things like that, that I was unable to keep my mouth shut about. And, and, and that, that's just so much pain for them. And um, I think from, from my my background, my mother told me everything about what my dad had done. Um, and so that was, I guess, I don't know. I felt I felt a loyalty to her to let her tell me what she needed to tell me. I was also a teen, teenager going through this then. Um, and I think maybe I had that model, that role model that, you know, <laughs> the kids are supposed to take care of the parent, <laughs> which they're not. Um Um, so, so I think my, my answer is yes, just in, in ways that I sort of couldn't see that were happening. And over time I've learned to say, I'm so sorry and I love you and I miss you and like not say anything else and just let them talk.
1: And as far um, as competency goes, did they, did your ex try to make you out as being an incompetent person? And they Yes, did, oh, definitely. And so how did you start to prove that wrong to
0: them? Uh, I think I, I, well, so first it was, um, after a couple of years away from me having moved out, I think they're starting to see that that was uh, an extremely competent and brave thing to do. And, and I, I did do it well. I mean, I, I pulled together my finances. I, you know, I did my research. I figured it out. The second thing I did was when, when something would go well for me, I, I made sure to tell them. You know, when I got that job, I say, guess what? You know, I just got myself a high-powered job. You know, I did like 12 interviews, but I got this job. Um, or when I got a grant, I said... I just wrote this grant that just got accepted. I made sure they heard me say, uh, you know, that I, I'm doing competent things. It's, it's just keeping their my emotions from them that is super, super hard. Um, so, and and I think over time they keep seeing his behavior over and over as one type, and it becomes clear, more and more clear. Uh, that he is okay with lying he's okay with saying mean things, and that their mother just doesn't um, and never did and i you know i'm really i'm really seeing a change i mean um, my my daughter uh, is is uh she she actually said um at some point she wanted me to um go over a, a big thesis paper that she was writing for her um, graduate degree. And I said, well, why do you want me to do that? I don't know anything about, you know, history and whatever. And she says, no, but you're, you're my role model for, for research. You know, I've always felt like, you know, y- you were just so good at this and, and you've always helped me so much. But I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know she thought I was, you know, this great research person. And so little by little, those things are coming out over time um, that when they're young, they just can't, you know, it. they just can't tell you, I guess, um, uh, in the middle of all that pain. Um,
1: so what a lot of people don't know is that we spoke before and, yeah. you know, the person I'm speaking to now doesn't sound anything like the person I spoke to, I guess, maybe two months ago, So somewhere, yeah. somewhere close, to that. close to that. And I, when I remember I, I, when I got off the phone with you, I, I said to myself, I'm like, I, I think this person is struggling with PTSD and, you know, the way you're talking, I mean, it's night and day the way you're you're talking you were you were you were so quiet uh,
0: before oh, that's interesting
1: and um, very unsure of oh, that's interesting. of what you were saying and to hear you today uh, i mean everyone who's listening i wish i recorded that in a, in a way just so <laughs> you could hear um, <laughs> because i was just like I, well it, you it, it was like you know today i'm speaking to a lion and wow. and the last time i was speaking to a mouse <laughs> yeah i think you're right so wow. what has happened in the last 2 months First, where were you when I spoke to you originally and what has happened in the last two months or is this all this has happened in the last two months to get you to where you are right now? And is it something that goes up and comes down and you fluctuate or is this uh, something the new you going forward?
0: Oh, that's an awesome question. So I, I do think uh, it's it's for many people, it's important to remember that you're you're going to have these low points that, that because if through PTSD or depression or whatever, nothing looks like it could possibly work ever again. (laughs) And, and the, the, the down, the downturn can be just really dramatic. Um, But that, and I think when I was the mouse, (laughs) um, I think it was probably just after the holidays um, and I'd made a big effort, as I always do, to try to make the Christmas holiday as good for the family as I can. And holidays are horrendous uh, in this situation. You know, I'd only recently gotten the divorce decree, which was in September. Uh, and then, of course, Thanksgiving, Halloween, all these holidays uh, engage me you know with most of my time and energy trying to make them good, and I think once it was over, I got through it, but i felt I felt like my children, because they're getting older, were just um i want to say uh, less engaged with with the holidays than they had been when they were younger, and I felt empty after that. And I, um, I I think I just started going into a, a slump that made me really question did I really is this enough you know is this life I'm living right right now is is this enough what what else is there Does, can it possibly get better <laughs> like is it ever going to get better and the thing thing that helps me is that when I go to the therapist, not, I go twice a week okay. <laughs> to try to get me through because, you know, I'm going through by my fingernails. Um, I have to go so she can remind me so I can say all the thoughts and all the fears. You know, I'm I've, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job, be out on the street. My kids are going to be. Destitute, Um, they're going to have PTSD and and depression, and they're going to, you know, they're going to harm themselves. I'm, you know, they're going to make bad choices with people and get into, you know, I I just so worried about all that stuff, and so I I say these things to the therapist. She says, okay, let's take these one by one, (laughs) you know, and um and that repetitive having somebody take that. All that stuff apart, um, and and reflect it back to me, and and help me see that it's it's just not possible that those things are true. That I've got it wrong, and it's because I'm depressed. It's because I'm trauma bonded, or whatever it is. Um, uh, and maybe the third thing is uh, actually yeah, this is a third thing. I've started. Finding one thing a week to plan for myself to do, you know, it sort of has to be cheap, um, that I can go do that is strictly for me. Um, And for me, that's like going out for a hike somewhere. Um, And that getting away, changing the physical landscape that I'm in, you know, not being in my neighborhood, not being in my city, but just slightly out where I don't recognize anything is incredibly recharging. And even if I get really depressed after that, when I get back, I get to remember that I'd felt good. Um, So I guess that's three things. It's it's probably a really long answer. I'm not sure. Does that, does that get it?
1: And going, I guess going forward, um, how, how long has it been since your divorce?
0: So, um, okay, September, so this is beginning of March, so oh, we're getting close to six months, I guess. So. Okay. So,
1: yeah. And is dating or anything like that even on your mind?
0: Uh, you know, it's, um, I have a friend who uh, once in a while will say, uh, there's this guy at my temple and he seems to be single and very nice. Do you want me to, you know, like interact with him and find out more? <laughs> and I'm like, sure, <laughs> I can have coffee with somebody. <laughs> I don't mind people, my friends kind of looking around for me. Um, but on the, the other end of the spectrum, um, the, the thought of trusting somebody with, uh, my heart and soul, um, gives me an absolute, um, Stomachache. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you know, um, but I do have the belief, and my therapist believes it, my friends believe it, and and I do too. I do believe that I will find a companion, and I think this time I'll find somebody who will actually take care of me, because <laughs> I'm real good at taking care of people. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm pretty intuitive, about I'm paying attention to what what they like, what they want, you know, how they feel. I just finding somebody who actually would do that for me and not use it to, to strike at me is, is what I'm looking for.
1: And what are the things, uh, that you and your therapist are specifically working on?
0: Um, uh, so, um, so so, one of those things is uh self care um, and taking little baby steps about uh, doing things that are healthy for me um, and that are um, i mean we talk about the fact that that I really brighten when i've uh, and seem to be in a better mood when i've Um, seeing some kind of beautiful something rather, whether it's the nature or, you know, go to the museum and look at art or something. I'm always in a better mood when I do that. So we're trying to make sure that I plan those things into my week somehow, at least one. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, more intangible things like, um, I, I need to remind myself that, um, uh you know that that my kids are actually doing pretty well and that they actually do really love me <laughs> and that um and that they we and I and they are are probably going to be fine you know i just um what other things um yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, self-care and finding your yourself and um, finding what you love, what you like, what makes you feel good, what you need. Um, paying attention to being able to say no to things that, that don't feel good. Um, uh, being able to um, uh, just not try to please everybody all the time. And so... I mean, the only like really concrete things I think that work for me is, is to plan that there will be some things in my life just for me that, um, that brighten, brighten my spirit, if if only for a, a few minutes, um,
1: And I'm just going to do a backtrack for one second. Um, The divorce process that you went through, what are some of the things that happened during the divorce that you were prepared for and weren't prepared for and what you would do differently uh, if you had to do it again?
0: Right. Well, that's a really good question. Um, The, Things I would do differently Um, besides getting the divorce a long time ago. No. uh, That would have been one. Um, I think uh, perhaps going gray rock a little sooner and insisting and making it very clear to my lawyer that she is the one to be having uh, any kind of interaction or conversation or email with that I don't want to be seeing any email threads, anything that he said or emailed to her. I don't want to see anything that his lawyer has said in email to her. I want her to deal with all that because as soon as I see that stuff, I start to feel uh, all those feelings again of being incompetent, weak, lazy, dumb, And I start going downhill. So I think that's one thing I would have done. Um, uh, I think so in the divorce, again, with the lawyer, I think you you have to um, you have to get them to explain everything to your satisfaction until you're really comfortable, because uh, they kind of. they want, I mean, they get paid, you know, to talk to you, but also they have lots of other clients and they uh, may not spend as much time with you explaining things and you know, giving you a heads up. I'll give you an example. Um, when it was time to adjust the child custody agreement, um, they, his lawyer initiated that process, which is just a piece of paper. But what it meant was I got this uh, summons in the mail saying, you are being sued by, you need to appear in court. And I, I, you know, I I crumpled. I was on the floor. I'm like, oh, my God, after everything I have to go through, now I'm going to get sued. What's this? You know, and my lawyer needs to know that I need to be prepared for every single thing that's going to come to me, that's going to be asked of me. Um, you know, they, they, they need to, you know, um, be careful with you. (laughs) Um, let's see. what else? Um, Did did you
1: feel that your lawyer understood you?
0: I think that she wasn't, um, paying enough close attention to have understood me. And it took me a while to really not be mousy and say, no, 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 no. I don't understand anything you just said, Um, uh, or uh, I sent you this email two weeks ago. You need to answer now. Like, you know, hurry up. (laughs) You know, uh, I needed to be more, um, not aggressive, but I needed to stand up for myself and not assume that she wasn't contacting me for some good reason that was good for me. So I don't think she was paying enough attention to have understood what I was going through.
1: Um, So would you have selected a different lawyer uh, if you had to do it again, or you would have just spoken up more and made things more uh, concrete of what you expected and that if it wasn't uh, what you expected, then there would – you would get someone new?
0: Yeah. So… In the end, yes, if I could have if I could have switched to a found a different lawyer, um, probably about 10 months ago, um, uh, I wanted to do that. But I was you know, this was going to mean another big retainer to get somebody else. And, I, you know, so what do you do at that point? I don't I don't know what you're supposed to do. I chose to just stick with it. But uh, it meant I had to start advocating more for myself. Now, um, the reason I could not see that coming is because there's a lot of activity in the very beginning of the separation and custody and um, uh, support uh, settlements and things like that that... um, my lawyer seemed really good at and was very busy doing and and i I heard from her a fair amount. um I just was not prepared to suddenly be way on the back burner, and that being on the back burner was not good for me. Um, she dropped a number of balls that were not good for me
1: and and did your ex Try to uh, keep you in court longer, or did he want it to be over quickly because he was more concerned about money?
0: Well, that's an interesting thing. In the very beginning, um, my lawyer said uh, he's uh, the most disengaged, uh, you know, uh, husband in this kind of uh, divorce proceedings, and she's ever seen. But at the same time, um, he. So, so all the things that were court ordered, um, he tried to bully me into, um, you know, saying no, 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 we don't have to do that. You know, no, 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 he, we don't need a, a custody order. No, 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 we don't need a, you know, a settlement or a um, what a, a, a child child support uh, court ordered child support. You know, he wanted he bu- bu- pushed me very hard, and this is when I hadn't gone gray rock yet. Uh, He pushed me very hard to, uh, you know, that I was being unreasonable about going through this legal process. You know, he we should be able to handle this ourselves. (laughs) Um, And thank God I didn't listen um, because he would have he would have had me paying his hundred thirty two thousand dollar federal fine.
1: And, um, and once you uh, didn't listen to him, did he start to get engaged? Did he want extra stuff? Or, and did he want to keep uh, you in court? Because some people deal with uh, high-conflict people where they keep you in court because they just want you to feel financial pain.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, I think uh, he's, he basically set that up. Uh, and I didn't know he was going to do this, of course. But um, he has not paid his court-ordered um, uh, uh, the medical bills for example he's, he's court ordered to pay medical bills I have paid the things that I was court ordered to pay for the boys um, and so I'm out of money and he hasn't paid me back uh, and so now uh, we have had to file a um, uh, uh, move, uh, move to um, enforce I think it's called um, to make him pay. Um, And at the end of the day, if he finally pays me everything that I'm owed (laughs) by court order, for God's sake, um, you take out all the lawyer legal fees out of it, and I probably won't come away with anything. Um, So, so this is you know, and he totally. He he's doing that because he can. He knows he can do that. He's got a lawyer saying, you know, this'll take forever and they'll have to sue us to get this money even though you were court ordered to do it. So
1: he knows um, he knows the system and he, he knows the and, system. and in his mind, Oh, let's just say I owe her this money, I'm just gonna stiff her.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Because exactly. the system says stiffing you is cheaper for him and in the long run, maybe stiffing you is cheaper for you because then he'll do keep you in court.
0: Yep. Yep. That's exactly uh, that's exactly how that worked. Now and if I did if I were not able to have a lawyer, um, this, it would be a lot worse than that. Mm-hmm. So because you know I I probably I'd be I wouldn't have anything. Um, so, yeah, that's um, that's absolutely. And then this this whole, uh, you know, he's tried to bully me into signing a, a, a second mortgage. Um, he told me that the the feds could, could seize our house if I didn't sign these loan agreements so that he could pay his fine. Well, he had an entire year to pay his fine. He just didn't do it. Um, And so uh, that's about when I started pushing back really hard and I said, uh, then give me the the phone number of the contact in in the the U.S. attorney who told you they're going to take the house. I want to ask directly if that's true. Um, And I had to push him to give me the name and i called the law, uh, the attorney and i asked the question and no they're not going to seize the house they can't do that <laughs> I, you know by settlement by agreement uh go, some negotiations for the divorce settlement i get a certain part of the house uh because it was a joint you know um ownership and uh The 132 thousand dollars will come out of his. It's not going to come out of mine. (laughs) But right, so you hear all that bullying that he did to try to get me to do this. He told me he's not going to be able to take care of the kids. He told me it's all going to be my fault. You know, it's my fault that they're going to. They have to uh, sell the house in the first place. I mean, everything that he does tries to twist me in knots about the kids. And how selfish I am for like essentially saving my life, but how selfish I am um, when I went to the settlement hearing, which is that's another whole interesting thing. Um, you know, when you have to be within earshot of your ex because you're in a courtroom or you're waiting outside a courtroom, um, you know. A person like this is going to loudly say all kinds of things about you, so the entire corridor can hear you. Him talking to his his lawyer and saying nasty stuff. I mean, it it just this seems little, but it was a big deal to me. So you know, I had to walk away and hope that my lawyer can let me know when to come back into the corridor because I can't listen to that. but I don't know.
1: So before we end off our show here, do you have any last words?
0: <laughs> any last words? Um, I have a poem for you.
1: Oh, go for it.
0: <laughs> it will take maybe a minute or 45 seconds to I read, did not
1: but... expect this, but I, I cannot <laughs> wait.
0: I, I often, when I hear somebody going through something similar, um, I send them this poem. This is not a poem by me, thank God. This is a poem by a poet named Mary Oliver, and she is a very famous American poet. And this uh, poem is called The Journey, and I think a lot of people resonate with this. Um, So here, here's uh, Mary Oliver's poem, The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice through the whole house. "'began to tremble, tremble, and you felt the old tug at your ankles. "'Mend my life!' each voice cried. "'But you didn't stop. "'You knew what you had to do. "'Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers "'at the very foundations, "'though their melancholy was terrible, "'it was already late enough, and a wild night.' and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do. Determined to save the only life that you could save. There you go.
1: I can't believe this is what's going on at the end of the show. I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> the, the whole, the, my whole conversation today with you has been just a surprise, and it, I have a smile on my face because I know you're going to help a lot of people, and that was a wonderful poem, and I hope everyone out there listened the same way I did. I had my eyes closed, and I took it all in, so thank you for reading that poem, and you did it with uh, with gusto. And, uh, I just want to thank you for being on the show today and sharing your story, sharing your experience and sharing your knowledge. And, um, I hope to speak to you in the future to keep our conversation going. And, uh, for everyone out there who is listening, I hope you have a good night.